come off those boxes, you have never seen such pure joy. This is amazing, as you can see, the children's faces, they are excited as they open up the gifts for the first time. What makes the gifts more than just gifts is the message that comes with the gift. This is the opportunity for a child to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. The mission of Operation Christmas Child never changes. Children are coming to Jesus, and children are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Millions of children around the world are being impacted by these simple shoebox gifts. One box can touch not just a child, but the whole family. So we need to keep packing those boxes and pray for the children that God will use this in a very special way. So thank you for being a part of it. God bless you. Awesome. Hey, do you guys know we're talking about Christmas already, right? <laughs> it's your favorite time of year, right? Um, but truly, I don't know if you're uh, familiar with Operation Christmas Child. It really is a great program where you can um, kind of go out and shop for some things that fit into a small shoebox. And then the reason we do it so early, we'll start passing out boxes next week. Um, and then for the next couple Sundays, we'll give boxes out. So we will send boxes home with you. You fill them up with toys and you bring them back uh, because they need time, obviously, to ship them around the world for Christmas time. So um, it's time to prepare. I, yesterday, I was listening to Christmas music, getting ready for our Christmas program. So it's time for you to jump into Christmas music with me, yeah? No? How many of you will not until after Thanksgiving? Okay, <laughs> so some of us are on the right, anyway, but it's a great time, it's a great, I know for us and our family, we'll take, we have three kids in our family, so we'll, you, you know, often we'll take three boxes and let each one of our kids fill those up, and they have such a joy filling them, so it's just something we do as a church, it'll be lots of fun, and we hope uh, you'll join us with it, um, but I am our kids pastor, if you don't know who I am, I'm Pastor Allison, and I'm just uh, bringing some announcements to you today, uh, but I always love the opportunity when Pastor Greg says that I can say, hey, come join the team, and not just kids ministries, but you know there's a lot of teams uh, here at MRCC, and what I would say to our church family, and I, I try and say it as often as I can, is um, if you are an attender here, um, what a great way for you to get connected if you're a part of a team, any team, worship team, media team. Uh, there's a security team. We're trying to build our security team for Wednesday night. We need more leaders on Wednesday night. As a matter of fact, we have this building is like packed on Wednesday night between youth that's in here. We have third to fifth grade down the hallway. We have kindergarten to second grade down in the other building. So the, the building is packed, and, and just having leaders that are pouring into kids' lives is a big deal. Um, I love my job, but it wouldn't be nearly as fun if I didn't have people to help. So um, being a part of that team it really is a big deal uh, between kids' ministries, youth ministries. Uh, what I will tell you is there's that little QR code right in front of you on your seat and on the back of the seat in front of you. If you take a picture of that, it can tell you all the ways you could get involved because I guarantee there's a place for every person to be be involved if it's a cooking team if it's serving it's um helping set up an event tear down an event can i tell you cleanup is the best right exactly we need your help okay <laughs> but um but i love it when i whenever i have an opportunity to come and share um just to say be a part of a team because i remember way back when i first volunteered for the very first time i thought i was doing something to help but the truth is Man, I grew so much, and God blessed my heart so much, and I connected with other people in my church. So if you're looking for a way to be connected, uh, to grow and gain friends, I mean, what's better than, you know, cutting up some celery and making a new friend, right? So um, just join a team if you can. And if you are new here, that's another great way to um, just let us know you're here. 
we won't do anything crazy. We just would love for you to be able to connect with us in some way. So if you're new, check that out as well. And then also all the announcements I'm about to give you are online. Yes? You can check it out online because I might talk too fast. Some people say I talk too fast because, you know, I know you don't want to hear me forever. So uh, let me just give you a couple things that are coming up on our calendar. As a matter of fact, this Friday and Saturday, ladies, you should come out. There's a there's a simulcast. Bethmore simulcast is coming up. Um, but more than anything, it's a great way to connect with other ladies. Uh, we'll have dinner together on Friday. Saturday, we'll have breakfast and lunch together during this time. And it's just a great time to grow in your relationship with Jesus and connect with some ladies. So if you can come join us for that. Um, but you know it's October, right? So kids' favorite time of year is in October. Uh, also, how many of you, if you don't work in the mornings during the day on a Tuesday morning, our mops group would love you to make a trunk for trunk or treat. How many of you ever done trunk or treat when you were a kid? It's more fun if there are trunks there. Yeah? Okay, so if you happen to be available on a Tuesday morning, if you would decorate a trunk and come on down here, the kids, you'll see some happy kids dressed in really crazy outfits, and it'll be great, and they'll bring you back to your roots, and you'll just love it, right? So um, that's coming up, but also something to make you aware of, at the end of the month, we're going to have an annual business meeting. Um, everyone's invited, specifically members vote uh, because we uh, need to bring in a couple more board members, so it's kind of a big deal. We would love for you to be here. <clears throat> we need you to be here, actually. We haven't had a board, a board meeting. We haven't had an annual business meeting through COVID, so this is our first one. If you're not a member, you're still, feel free to come. It's a great way to just learn about what's going on, things that are happening around here. Maybe we'll even talk about the building project a little bit more, give you some more details there. So there's just, it's just a great way to know what's going on, like the nuts and bolts, right? Like the business part, it's the most fun meeting you'll go to all year. Yeah, okay. Like I said, come, join us. It'll be great. And actually, Pastor Greg is really good about being efficient. We have bets every year how fast he'll get through that meeting. So um, you can cast your vote at mrccnow.org. Send your email to Brent. Yeah? <laughs> I'm teasing. Actually, Brent is going to bring the word today. So if you'd open your Bibles and hear from our Pastor Brent. Yay. You do not have to clap, but I appreciate it a ton. As Pastor Allison uh, hinted, my name is Brent. I'm one of the pastors here at MRCC, and I am privileged to get to bring the word this morning. I am super excited for Trunk or Treat. I just have to tell you, the past few years, it's been a tradition for me that I always set up my trunk and I wear, I put on aviators in a security jacket and then I put, I run power out to my car and then in the trunk I have a monitor set up with a webcam hidden away in the corner and it's a security booth. And so the kids get to come up to my trunk and they'll see themselves on the monitor. And the thing I get the biggest kick out of is that it's a haunted house, not for the kids, but for the adults. Because you can always tell which moms didn't have time to do their hair. Because they come up to the trunk and they see they're on camera and they're like hiding their face. And the kids are just love it. Like they're like, this is great, but it's horrific for some of the moms. Um, but it's always a good time. So I'm really looking forward to getting to do that again this year. Uh, my sermon this morning is called Backwards. And I've, I go deep down a lot of rabbit holes on YouTube. I don't know if some of you who are, who are YouTube explorers might do the same thing every now and again, but you'll find a video and then there'll be another video recommended and then another video off of that. And you just go down this rabbit trail. And the one I've been going down recently is like historical spelunking accidents, like caving issues. 
you have to keep in mind, I am deeply claustrophobic. <laughs> so I don't know, like it's therapeutic in some way. Maybe I'm conquering my exposure therapy, you know. Um, but so many of these incidents involve people getting stuck backwards uh, in a cave with their arms pinned to their sides. And I'm like, I'm out. No, thank you. I don't know why you feel like you need to do this. The caves are obviously not meant to fit humans. Uh, you should just have taken that as advice and left. Go explore one of the other places that we do fit. Like, we fit so many places. Just don't go down the cave. I don't get it. But backwards is what I felt like God kind of put on my heart for us this morning. And the question that I have for us, and I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands because we've all been there, is have you ever been completely wrong about something? Have you ever been completely wrong about something? I'm sure all of us have in one way or another. Me, first and foremost, for sure. I remember a few years ago, I went to Alaska with my father-in-law and my brothers-in-law. We went to Alaska for like a week and some change and we were gonna go fishing. Keep in mind, I'd never been fishing before this. So what I'm thinking in my mind is I'm thinking, this is great. I'll get to skip the boring fishing and go straight to fishing in Alaska. It'll be so easy. Everybody knows in Alaska, all that you do is catch fish. The fish don't stop. So I'm looking forward to this big time. We get to Alaska. And what I really learned is that I had essentially skipped the tutorial mission that taught you how to fish and said, take me straight to the end game level, Alaska. And I didn't catch a single fish the whole time. Mind you, I was the only one of us that did not catch a single fish the whole time. This wasn't, this wasn't an isolated thing. This was like, this was me, not the rest of us that were there. Didn't catch a single fish, I was totally wrong. I thought it was gonna be easy street. I learned my lesson. Um, fishing is just isn't for me, you guys. If you have fishing advice, ask Pastor Dave. I'm sure he'd be happy to share stuff with you. He has actually caught fish and can back up his claims. Don't ask me. So I was definitely wrong about that. But another bigger moment where I was wrong was uh, when I first joined the staff here at MRCC. And as a part of this process, there are a lot of things that our staff is so, so good about that uh, at MRCC we just prioritize that are so good. One of those is balancing like family work, that sort of thing, right? That's important. Um, and I was fairly newly married at the time. Uh, and Heather and I were talking to Pastor Greg and we were just talking about kind of how to manage this. Now, for those of you that are familiar, there's a thing called the love languages, right? There's multiple love languages and there are different ways that sort of explain how we express and receive love from each other. I'll give you an example. Mine is words of affirmation. If you uh, come up to me at any point today and say, you did such a great job, no matter how much you're grimacing and how much I can tell you're lying, I'll still feel loved. So that's, just keep that in mind. Um, words of affirmation, gifts, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but words of affirmation is my primary love language. My wife's is quality time. And I read the whole thing on quality time and I was like, this, what, what is this? Like, I don't understand this. If quality time is a language, I need Google Translate to help me with it, right? Because she'll say, I wanna hang out. And they all go, the words go into my brain and I'm like, I know exactly what she wants. And then I do what I think she wants. And she's like, that's not what I wanted at all. So I need Google Translate so that she can say, I wanna hang out. And then it'll go and Google Translate will pop up and say, I wanna go on a long walk for two hours. And then I want to come home and I wanna snuggle and talk about our days. And I'm like, whoa, 
That's, that's not at all what I got. Like, when I hear you say I want to hang out, I'm thinking, great, let's lay on the couch and let's watch The Rings of Power. The new episode just came out. Not a sponsor. Um, let's watch The Rings of Power. That's what I think when she wants to hang out. She wants to spend quality time. And so this was really important that we, that we get this right. And Pastor Greg was adamant that like, hey, I needed to get this. I needed to understand that, that we needed to make sure that we got this thing working if I was going to be on staff. And so we're consulting him and over the course of the conversation, I asked a very backwards question, but I thought it was a great question. I was like, ooh, I'm gonna get Pastor Greg. I'm gonna lure him into a corner. I'm gonna ask him a, a fantastic question. And so what I asked, I said, what is more important? My commitment to Heather or God's calling on my life, God's will for me. And I'm like, boom, I stumped him, I've got it. Um, now I win, I asked the best question. And in my mind, it was a fair question. Like I knew, I know God's will is the most important thing, right? We're supposed to keep God at the center. And so I'm like, well, what's more important, this or that? Like I gotta be able to prioritize this. And he got that look on his face that you may have seen before when he knows that he's just lured me into a trap. Uh, he's like, you trapped yourself. That's a dumb question. And he said, he said this, he said, listening to God's call is the most important thing. And I'm like, boom, I knew it. I win. And he said, but guess what he's going to call you to do first? Guess who he's going to call you to prioritize? He goes, it's not an and or. See, I was getting it backwards. I thought that God's calling on my life and my commitment that I had made to him for my wife to love her, to protect her, to make her my everything, I thought that those two were distinct and different, that I could choose one or the other, right? That's not what happened. Greg said, no, He's, <laughs> his will for your life is to do this thing first. You promised. I made a promise to him and to Heather. I had it backwards in a big way, right? God loves Heather more than I do. How could I think that he would possibly be okay with unloving behavior towards her for any reason, especially if it was done for his glory or for his kingdom. I had it backwards. I'm thinking, well, I can sacrifice time with her for this. God's saying, no, you made me a promise. That's my daughter. You need to love her. I had it wrong. There are a wealth of examples of this backwards thinking happening in scripture, right? Just last week, we talked about the shepherd who has the, the 100 sheep, he loses one, and there's the 99. And what everybody thinks, like what we think is the right answer is to say, well, let's conserve the 99. The other one had his chance and he squandered it by getting lost. And so let's take the 99 and let's just make sure they're okay. Let's build the fences a little higher, make sure they're safe. No, that's not what God says, that's backwards. God says, these ones are safe, go get the one that's lost, right? We see examples of this sort of backwards thinking all the time in scripture. And so this morning, we're gonna look at a different time in God's word. We're gonna be in Luke chapter six this morning. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter six. And we're gonna see Jesus addressing this type of thinking and highlighting his heart for us. Uh, before we do that, you may have remembered, um, perhaps you remember, there was this craze that swept the nation. Back in the day, I'm gonna say back in the day, I mean, what is time even anymore? The last three years, it felt like an eternity. Um, but back in the day, when I was a teenager, they had this thing, there were these silicone bracelets. 
you, I'm sure you've seen them. They're still around, they float around, and you could get these silicon bracelets that represent different causes that you supported. And one of them was a what would Jesus do bracelet. And I didn't grow up in church and I was homeschooled, so take this with a grain of salt. But in my eyes, that was the coolest thing ever was the silicon bracelets. I was like, the, the true measure of any teenager's success is how many silicon bands you have. It's like, look how many people I support. Got all these different organizations. But the what would Jesus do one was always really popular. There were a ton of people, uh, believers, new believers, some even who weren't, hadn't committed their life to Jesus that would wear those bracelets because they were just kind of all the rage for a while. And it, it was, it's a good message, but as I've grown in my walk with Christ, as I've grown closer to him, and as I've matured, I've come to realize that I don't really like that question, what would Jesus do? And the reason being is that what would Jesus do allows me personally, and I think many of us, it allows us some room to wiggle, right? We, our own opinion is influenced. We say, what would Jesus do? Well, I mean, I think Jesus would wanna tailgate this person so that they know how slow they're going and they know Jesus is disappointed with them, right? That's what Jesus would do. He wouldn't want me to get stuck going 35 in Buckley, right? That's not the way. Um, so we can color that, that question, what would Jesus do with our own, sort of where we're at, our emotions, our thoughts? I think a far better question is to ask, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? Because we can look and we can see definitively, here's what Jesus did in a situation like this. Then we're free from having to be influenced by where we're at. And we can say, you know what? When Jesus was in a situation like this, this is what he did. And I think that's where the what would Jesus do question ultimately is supposed to lead us. But I usually stop at like, okay, you know what? I think I'll interpret it this way. So what did Jesus do is a better question. And in Luke 6, Jesus highlights two principles that help us understand how not to get turned around when it comes to these matters, when it comes to this type of thinking. So what did Jesus do? Let's find out what Jesus did. Luke 6, starting with verse 1, says this. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? So at this time, the Jewish people had rules about what could or couldn't be done on the Sabbath, right? In the eyes of the religious leaders, the disciples had, they'd reaped, they'd threshed, they'd winnowed, and they'd prepared their grain into food. That's four rule-breaking violations per mouthful. So they're racking up the, the parking tickets, the Sabbath day parking tickets, right? They're just getting all these rules broken and the Pharisees are upset. They said, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? I've always been more of a rule follower. I'm kind of the cautious person. I always tell people I've never broken a bone, but deep down inside, I know that it's because I never do anything fun that would break my bones. Like, I, I was kind of proud of it for a long time. It's like, I've never broken a bone. It's like, oh, well, have you done this and this? Like, no. Like, I literally just, you know, I walk around and do stuff that bones are like supposed to do without breaking. So um, I've always been a rule follower. I'm not I'm not one to just go and, and cause wonton mayhem. I like the structure of rules, it helps. But when Heather and I were dating, there were a couple rules um, that her parents had 
And, you know, I wanted to make sure that we followed those rules for the health of our relationship. And they were rules that were put in place to help us, right? These are things that are good, ultimately. Uh, One of those rules was that uh, we were never allowed to be up late uh, doing anything without a third person there, right? So we'd go over to her house and inevitably her brother would get stuck out in the living room with us till the late hours of the evening watching Fireproof or The Notebook or some movie that he had no interest in watching because he had to be out there because it was mandated that we needed a third person. It's like, dude, we're sorry. You need to be out here to supervise us. We wish you could leave, but, (laughs) but you can't. Trust me, no one wishes you could leave more than us, but you can't. So that was one of the rules. Another rule is that she had a, uh, an 11 p.m. curfew. And this was a little bit uh, like later on. Uh, she had an 11 p.m. curfew and this was pretty strict. So what ended up happening was this resulted in many, many 10.59 p.m. screeching into her driveway because we knew exactly how much time we had. It's like, we've got to leave now if we need to get back to your house by the curfew. So we were good about following those rules. Uh, but we tried our best to stick to him, but there was one rule that we found a loophole for. When we first started dating, and this was pretty early on when we first started dating, this didn't continue very long into our relationship, but early on when we started dating, uh, her phone had a lock on her texting. So she was unable to text past 9 p.m. And uh, at first, this resulted in some kind of cute moments that we're fond of remembering because what would happen is I had an alarm on my phone that would go off at 8.55 every night and I would text her because I knew her phone was about to shut off texting capabilities and I'd text and I'd say, good night, you know, all this stuff, mushy, mushy, and uh, just be such a great boyfriend. And so I'd send all that before nine because I knew her phone would shut off. And then uh, this was in the heyday of apps, right? So apps were coming out for everything. If you wanted to do something, chances are there was an app for that. And we soon discovered it's like, (laughs) you can send messages with more apps than just the texting app on your phone. Through Wi-Fi, you don't need cell service. So it wasn't long before we got a separate messaging app that did work past 9 p.m. And we could send all the messages we wanted. And we did that for a little while. And technically, it wasn't, we weren't texting after 9 p.m. because that was the rule. We were sending messages. It was different. So that was, that was one of the rules that we, that we broke. But in my defense, I'm a night owl, right? Like they're, they were harshing my game. Like those are my prime hours to, to like woo her is this time and they're gonna shut me off? Like I can't woo her properly in the morning. I'm too tired and lazy for that. You know, that's not my, I'm a night owl. So that's how I justified it in my mind. But we found a loophole, right? And at this time, the same sort of thing was happening back in the day to deal with some of these Sabbath laws. So get this, one of the laws is that you could not tie a knot on the Sabbath, which makes sense, I guess, if you think about like tying a knot is work, that's hard work. God would be so disappointed if you tied a knot on the Sabbath. So they said, you can't tie a knot on the Sabbath, but women were exempt when it comes to tying knots in their girdles. So when they're putting their outfit together, they're allowed to tie a knot, right? Because they have to be able to like put themselves together and be presentable and all those sort of things. So you could not go to the well to bring up water and tie your rope to the bucket and drop it down the well. But what you could do is you could walk over to the well, you could tie the bucket to the girdle, 
tie the girdle to the rope and then lower it down and have the girdle act as your holy go-between, right? <laughs> so they would do this. They would get around this by saying, well, you can tie knots in the girdle. So boom, there we go. I, I kid you not, this is what they, they did because God would have been so upset if they tied it straight to the bucket, but the girdle, God's like, okay, there's a girdle. <sighs> They're good. <laughs> there's a girdle, false alarm. So they had these loopholes. All that to say, right, the list is long of these rules that they have for the Sabbath. And Jesus and the disciples had just broken several of them. So they're upset. And verse three says, Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. <clears throat> Excuse me. So this verse, these verses here contain one of my favorite Bible characters of all time, sassy Jesus. Because if you look into the context of this, Jesus, no, Jesus is getting a little, he's prodding the Pharisees a little bit here to try to get the point across what he's referencing is that in 1 Samuel, David had gone with the people who were following him and they needed food, they were hungry. So they go and the only bread that's available is holy bread, consecrated bread only for the priest to eat. And an exception's made, they're allowed to eat the bread because they need food, they need sustenance. So what Jesus is saying, he says, have you never read this? He knows the Pharisees are considered scripture experts. Jesus knows exactly what, how to push these guys' buttons. The Pharisees are probably blustering, like, of course, of course we've read the scriptures. How dare you accuse us of not reading the scriptures? And Jesus, by saying, have you not read this? He's implying that there's one of two things. Either they haven't read it, which he knows they have, or they've missed the point. They've missed the point. So he says, have you not read this? See, any Sabbath law that that causes the detriment of man, right? That, that doesn't show love. That's out of, of harmony with God's purpose, out of harmony with God's will. Jesus is showing, look, in this instance, technically they're not allowed to do this. Sure, technically we're not allowed to eat this grain, but this is not God's will. Verse five, this is where Jesus gets real because they're still not getting it. Verse five, then Jesus said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. This is sort of the second principle Jesus brings before the Pharisees to up the ante because they're not wrapping their minds around it. They're still getting all up in a tizzy. What Jesus is saying when he says the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath is Jesus is saying, whatever Jesus says goes on the Sabbath is what goes. He's trying to get them to understand that, look, I I'm saying that this is okay, and so it's okay. He's trying to get them to understand the point. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. When I was a kid, I had plenty of things I wasn't allowed to do, right? As you who are parents know, or you who were once children, I hope almost all of you were once children, um, but <laughs> you know that there are certain rules. One of the rules we had as a kid was you're not allowed to stay over at a friend's house on a school night. Pretty standard. We were homeschooled, but we still did actual school, so it was relevant, all right? Um, people always said like, oh, well, you're homeschooled. You don't even do any actual school. Why was that a rule? And it's like, we did real school, um, but we weren't allowed to stay at a friend's house on a school night. And I remember as a kid, I had a, a close friend, my childhood friend named Daniel, and he ended up having to move away. Uh, and not like an hour away or two hours away, he moved to South Carolina. 
And I already was pretty steadfast, like I'm never going to South Carolina because it's too hot. Um, I'm kidding, I would have gone down to see him. But he moved to South Carolina, and as a result of that, we were, we were both pretty like upset. His dad needed to move for work, wasn't really any, anything we could do about it. And we were really close, we hung out all the time. And during that time, I remember both of our parents made exceptions up the wazoo of, you know, we'd go over, I'd stay a couple nights in a row over at his place, and he'd come over and stay the night at my place. Like we would, we hung out a ton during that time before they moved away when we knew that he was moving away. And my parents just knew that that was going to bless me. His parents knew the same for him. Like they're, they're going to move away, gonna let them get some more time to hang out together. I didn't go to my parents and say, well, mom and dad, very sorry to inform you. According to Article 14, Section 3 of the rules, this violates, this violates it. This is a school night. You, mom and dad, you guys know as well as I do. I'm not allowed to go over to Daniel's house on a school night. I didn't approach them and show them the rule book and say, technically, you can't do this. I'm not going. Of course not. I said, thank you. Of course I will go over there on a school night. Right? Uh, <laughs> they are the only ones that had the ability to override that rule. I didn't have the power to do that. And in them wanting to love and bless me through them saying that we're gonna change this for right now, we're gonna say that this is okay. I was receiving that love and that blessing from them. I didn't reject it, but that's what the Pharisees are doing. They're rejecting this idea that Jesus says, I say this is good because I say that this is gonna show them love, this is gonna bless them. Pharisees are rejecting it. Verse six says, on another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. This man was, was wounded, he was hurt, disabled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So these guys, they of course still haven't really gotten the point. And more than that, furthermore, they're trying to catch him in entrapment, right? They're trying to set up and put eyes on so that they can see if they can catch him doing something bad. God would be so upset with Jesus if he healed a man on the Sabbath, we're gonna catch him. We're gonna get him in the act. We're gonna go to God and we're gonna say, look what we found, God. Can you believe it? <laughs> Disgusting. And they're trying to catch him in the act. They're looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Verse eight says, but Jesus knew what they were thinking, of course, and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Jesus wants this to be a learning moment, wants this to be a moment where people can see his heart. Get up and stand in front of everyone. Verse nine says, then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or destroy it. And I mean, maybe the Pharisees were kind of like, okay, Jesus, when you phrase it that way, like that's not what this is about. But it seems obvious, the answer to us, right? When we read this, it seems obvious that the answer is we're not to do evil, we're to do good. It's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It's lawful to save life, right? In the day-to-day -day, though, it can be really easy for us to slip into a mindset that favors law over grace, that favors structure over love. We like rules and structure because it helps us feel like we have control. God knows how much I struggle with this, how much I want to have control. I wanna know exactly what's coming. 
I want to know exactly how to deal with it. And God has taught me again and again that that's not going to happen. <laughs> Every time I ask, God, can you just give me a sneak peek of what's coming? It's like, why don't you just trust me instead? All right. Right? We want to control. We want to, we want to have that element there. It's so much easier to get through life if we can solve every encounter by holding up our list and just applying its cold, unfeeling judgment and logic. But that was never what the law, what the list was designed for. It was never designed to help us solve things as we go through life. It was never designed as the end, the way that we get there. God doesn't use it that way. He doesn't measure us up and use that as a basis for our salvation. If a report card was how we got into heaven, guess what? There'd be one person there, Jesus. Nobody else. We cannot, if a report card with an A++ was required, we would all fall short. Adopting his mindset of grace and love is harder for us to do sometimes because it requires something more than just referencing a list or completing the right tasks. It's relational and it's deep and it changes and adjusts and flows depending on the heart receiving it, depending on as the spirit's leading, it's different. You know, my greatest fear when I reach judgment day, right? When I go before God, my greatest fear is that I'll go before him and I'll pull out my list. And I'll say, God, here's how good I did. Here, look, when I did this, remember this, God? Remember when I did this thing? Here's my list. I think it's pretty good. I've been trying really hard. And then God's gonna say, I don't recognize that list. I've never seen it before. But here's my list. And he's gonna produce a list. He's gonna say, these are the names of all the people that I love that you could have loved too if you weren't so busy with your list. That is my greatest fear is that I will miss the point of it all. The point that says that love is at the center, that relationship with Jesus is the only way. It's not about the list. Verse 10 says this, he, Jesus, looked around at them all. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was completely restored. Jesus had the opportunity to choose a list that would say, nah, it's the Sabbath, sorry, try again next time, or to choose love. And he did not pass up on the opportunity to choose love, and he heals the man right then and there, further illustrating his point. You'd think maybe by now there'd be something, but... Verse 11 says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another, another what they might do to Jesus. This is one of the catalysts, one of the points where they're really getting fed up with Jesus defying the law, going against everything that they think is the way. And Jesus is desperately trying to convey to them that I am the way, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. You're getting it backwards. You're getting it backwards. They're so caught up in their relationship with the law that they're failing to see the importance and the power of relationship with Jesus. And this happens later too. We see this even in smaller, different ways. In Acts chapter 15, right? So this is the church, Christ's church is established. 
it's scattered out, it's spread, it's grown. And this is Acts chapter 15. We're in the midst of this time where God is doing a new thing in the church. God has revealed that he wants to bring all the Gentiles to him as well. All people he wants to be part of his church. And so this is kind of an earth-shaking thing for all the disciples and the apostles at the time. So they're going around and they're, they're telling people the good news. They're saying, God wants to bring the Gentiles in. They're converting Gentiles. They're saying, hey, come and be a part of this with us. All this is happening and in the midst of it, some Pharisees who have been saved, mind you. So these are, are Pharisees who said, I believe in Jesus. I wanna follow Jesus. And that's awesome. Praise God, that's cool. But they're still kind of missing the point. Because this group of Pharisees in Acts chapter 15 come forward and they say, they start teaching that the Gentiles need to be circumcised to be saved, right? They're saying, this thing that, that we've done, you need to do this to be saved also. And Paul and Barnabas at this moment are like, alarm's going off, like you're adding stuff, that's not okay. And so what happens is this big debate that, spoiler alert, they end up having to take all the way up the chain to the apostles, to Peter. They're saying, what is the deal here? And they ultimately decide, they're saying, we're not going to hold, this isn't right. They don't need to be circumcised to be saved. They need one thing to be saved, Jesus. And that is where we're going to stand. That's what we're gonna say. So these Pharisees, even though they, they've made the decision to follow Jesus, they're still thinking in their minds, they're still mindsets a little twisted where they're saying, Jesus is great. You know, he helps me to accomplish all these other things so I can be saved. And that's not right. Jesus saves them, period, because he's Jesus. <clears throat> so the Pharisees have a history of, of struggling with this. And all of us struggle with it too. We naturally wanna keep track of our effort. We wanna use it as a measure of our spiritual standing. A relationship with a checklist is rigid, unloving. It's impossible to maintain, but a relationship with a person, one that loves us and has the power to save us is what God always intended. You know, when we miss a checkbox, the list doesn't do anything to help us. All the list does is stare at us and remind us how badly we failed. And that's the point of the list. But Jesus sees our list and he says, I'm gonna sign off on that anyways. I know you didn't check all the boxes. I know you didn't get it right, uh, but I love you and there's grace for you. So he signs off on our list like a badly drawn art project. This doesn't look like a rhinoceros at all, but you know what? We're gonna put it on the fridge anyways. That's what Jesus says. Up in heaven, all of our lists are gonna be on the fridge. We'll get to see how all of us have spectacularly failed and we'll get to praise Jesus that he, his grace was sufficient for every single one of our checklists. It's gonna be amazing. See, Jesus didn't come down to get anything from us. We think, oh, Jesus, oh, you're here. Here's my list. Jesus, look, look at all the things I've done to be saved. Jesus didn't come to get anything from us. That's not how it works. He came to give us a gift. He came to give us the gift of salvation, something we can never attain ourselves. And it's when we take that truth and we keep it rooted deep in our hearts that we free ourselves from thinking backwards. We keep Jesus and his saving grace at the center. I've had a pretty good record when it comes to vehicular accidents. Pretty good record. I'm not counting the scooter, that doesn't count. But when it comes to car crashes, I have a good record. 75% of all my car crashes have happened on my driveway. Um, I did the numbers and I did the math, it does check out. And one of these, happened several years ago. Um, I was living with my parents at the time, I was a bit younger, 
and we had a two mile long like dirt gravel road that served as our driveway. And I was driving home later one evening in my 1999 Toyota 4Runner. I missed that car. Um, nothing like a 4Runner, but I was driving home in my 4Runner and I had an Amazon box on the passenger seat. This will become important, it's a key plot point. Uh, so I'm driving up the dirt road. I get maybe about a third of the way up the road and I'm like, I can't wait to see what's in the box. I can't wait to open the box. I can't wait any longer. So I, I'm gonna open this Amazon box with one hand, steer the car with the other and try to, try to see you know, the thing that I got in the box. The funny part, I don't even remember what it was. <laughs> I don't remember. It can't have been that important, which just makes the story that much more embarrassing. But in the process of trying to open a large Amazon box in my passenger seat, I got distracted enough that I veered off of the road and my right tire got caught in the ditch. And as some of you may be familiar, when your tire gets caught like that, most of the time it's game over, man. You're just, poof, after that you're on a trajectory just to go straight down into the ditch. And I did, but something saved me, a tree. It stopped me, very kindly stopped me from going any further. How thoughtful. Um, so I hit this tree going 25 or 30 miles an hour uh, probably closer to 25 because uh, I was okay. I don't remember being any, don't remember having any sort of injuries or anything, but it really just, poof, like I felt the impact. I hit, it dented the front in pretty good. The front already didn't have a grill on it, so it was like it was unarmored. It was a, <laughs> a cheap shot to this poor forerunner. Hit the tree, and I'm thinking, I'm sitting there like the car's still running. So I'm like, can't be that bad. So I try to back out, nothing. It's kind of a steep ditch down. I'm wedged into this tree and the foreigner doesn't have enough traction. So I try to back out, nothing. Try this for five, 10 minutes, not getting anywhere. So, all right, weigh my options. What have I got, what have I got going here? I can call, see if I have friends that have, a, do I have any friends that have a vehicle that might be able to like tow me out with like a you know, chain or something? No, none are, that are available. So that's, that's off the table. All right, do I walk home? leave my car here, come back down real early and try to fix it then. All right, so I keep going through all these options, trying to think of a way that I can take care of this myself, a way that I can fix this on my own without having to call my dad. That's the, that's the best option. Of course, that was the one I put at the bottom of my list. I'm like, well, let's exhaust everything else. Maybe like my car will just randomly teleport to the road and that's a much better option than calling my dad. So, Finally, I exhaust all my other options. So I brace myself, I'm, I'm getting prepared to hear the tirade of disappointment and the lectures about <laughs> how not to open Amazon boxes, something my dad probably never thought he'd have to teach me. Don't open boxes in the car, just wait till you get home. But I call my dad and he picks up, it's late at night. And I told him what happened. I said, I hit a tree on the dirt road close, but the car's stuck. And first thing he says, he goes, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm okay. Now I'm waiting. And he goes, okay. He goes, well, let me grab, I'll grab the tractor. Uh, I'll come down. We'll, we'll pull it out and we'll see how bad it is. And I was like, whoa, that was not what I was expecting. I was ex fully expecting the, the flow of disappointing lecturing, but instead I got this sort of positive matter-of-factness from him. 
he came down, he's like, oh man, you really, really got us stuck in there. He did make a comment about what were you doing? I said, got distracted with the box. Um, I'm sure he filed that away for later. But in the moment, he said, okay, you know, and made a joke about, oh, well, we're going to need to fix this anyways. We, we were kind of needing to fix this, so now we just get a chance to do it. Point is, I wasn't expecting that from him at all. Like, it did not have the response I expected. You see, what I was assuming was that I was assuming that my dad wanted, what my dad wanted was a son who would not crash the car. What I was assuming is that my dad wanted a son who would go through the list and, and maintain the relationship and say, dad, okay, I didn't crash the car today. I didn't crash the car today. I got a box, but I left it in the seat till I got home, doing good. That's what I assumed my dad wanted. But what really, the only thing that made my dad upset that night was when I told him how long I waited before I called him. He said, you should have called me right away. What I assumed he wanted was a son who wouldn't crash the car. What he really wanted was a son who would call him the instant that he did crash the car. And God's the same way. He wants the same thing from us. He didn't come to get a checklist. He doesn't want us the, to work on the perfect us that we can always be. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're constantly trying to bring the best you that you can be to God and say, God, I'm almost there. God, I'm, I'm working on it. And then you think maybe you can have the relationship that, that he's promised. He says, that's not the case. My dad knew I was gonna crash the car. <laughs> it's a given, right? He knew his son would crash the car. All he wanted was to be the, the one that I called for help. God wants the same thing. He knows we're gonna crash. Maybe you've crashed the car, so to speak, this morning, however small or big that might look. Can I just encourage us when we do that? Man, God just wants to get that call. God just wants us to know and trust that he's there to help. He's there with the saving grace, with the love that covers over it. Would you stand with me as we pray this morning? Jesus, we thank you above everything else for your sacrifice for us, for your saving grace, that you looked down at our mangled, disgusting, horribly filled out checklists and you signed off your signature of approval and said, my grace will cover that. There's not a list too unfinished, God, that your grace can't sign off and, and cover it. We thank you for that, Jesus. We ask that we would go from this place, that you'd open our hearts to be receptive to that, God, that receptive to that reminder from you that it's about you, Jesus. That getting caught up in the little things, getting caught up in the checklist, getting caught up in doing the right things at the exact right times is so much less important than being focused on the fact that you are Lord and you are our Savior. We love you for it, Jesus. We ask that we would go from this place, that you would bless us, that you would have our hearts be softened to love the way that you love. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. In your mighty name, amen. I do not have a benediction this morning, so I will say thank you so much for being here. Have a fantastic week and enjoy the sunshine while it lasts.